Hello everybody out there in Musicville, podcast land, and all points in between. It's me, Gary Stuckey, back once again right here on Real Music. And I'm excited to let you know that I've got an awesome guitarist here today, a blues guitarist. His name is Joe Lewis Walker, and he was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in 2013. He's won several blues music awards. He's had an album that was nominated for a Grammy in 2015. He's played with everybody that you can think of. And let me throw some names out there. Muddy Waters, B.B. King. You know those guys? Yeah, I thought I got your attention. And this guy, so awesome. Brand new album out called Electric Electric. And we're going to talk about that and some cool stories. And you might learn a thing or two. So here we go. Here's Joe Lewis Walker. Oh, here we go. Um, All right. And I'm I'm looking over your uh, bio, and it says you've won several uh, blues music awards, including Band of the Year, Contemporary Male Artist of the Year, a BAMI Award for Blues Musician of the Year, and in 2013, you were inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame, and uh, your album Everybody Wants a Piece was nominated for a Grammy. That that's a, that's a pretty good number of accomplishments, don't you think? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's uh, it's okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> You're just doing I'm what you do. Home. Yeah. Um. That's uh. How did it feel though when when you were inducted into the uh, the Blues Hall of Fame to be with all those guys in there? Well, you know, actually, it was pretty pretty cool because you know a couple of those guys were um were sort of like mentors to me, you know, who, who were put in the Blues Hall of Fame before, one being uh, Earl Hooker, who I played with when I was a kid, and the other was Mike Bloomfield, who I had uh, lived with for a while. And so, uh, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, very uh, humbled by that because, you know, both of those guys were just groundbreaking uh Serious uh, uh, influencers, influencers, and you know, um, they're, they're, uh, they're icons as far as I'm concerned. And you know, I'm I'm glad to be in the Hall of Fame, but by no means a stretch of imagination do I think I'm in a funnel league with Mike Bloomfield or Earl Hooker. You know, right? Well, but, um, I appreciate. Yeah, that's well, that's that's awesome. Bunch of guys, and and you were talking about when you were growing up. How did you get started when you were growing up to play guitar? And did you say, "I think I'll play guitar now"? You know, did you did you hear something and go, "Yeah, that's what I want to do"? How did that start? Well, my father, my father is from uh, Cleveland, Mississippi. My mother's from Little Rock, and when they came from the South, they brought their music with them, and I was the youngest of the litter, so. My dad would um, play uh, some 45s for me on the little 45 player that some of the guys that he used to go and see when he was, uh, you know, living in Mississippi and they'd come through town, like Holland Wolf, and they need to see those guys. But he'd buy their records, too, right. you know. And so when, you, when we moved to the Bay Area, he, um, my father may have been physically in San Francisco, but musically, he was in Mississippi. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so and so he passed that on to me. 
you know, at an early age, six years old, seven years old. I can't tell you too much of what I did at six or seven years old, but I can tell you that I listened to music uh, when my father would come home from work construction and, you know, play spin his records and sort of unwind, you know, and they might have a little, little, little uh, a beer or something, right. you know, uh, and they put him back, you know, in some of the good times in Mississippi, which was for him being, a, being able to listen to the music and, and listen to those guys and, and know that, you know, that, uh, that they, um, you know, made it through, you know, uh, he was very proud, uh, as all those guys were proud of each other, you know, that they had made it, um, made something, uh, out of nothing, right. you know, so to speak. And, um, and, and that they could hold their head up high and they were in a situation where they could make a better life for their families and whatnot. It was more than just music, right. you know, blues was more than just music to them. Uh-huh. And yes. with those guys, though, you know, growing up listening to those guys, and you know, me being from right here in Alabama, I know that that music is so special to everybody, like all over the world. And and you know, you you had all these British bands coming trying to copy the blues, and and, and it's just that's all part of it, right? And I know a lot of those guys really appreciated the music, you know. And I know that, you know, being from the South, everybody, I think it's in, I think music is in everybody and it has to come out in some form. And I think, I think blues is a big part of that. Uh, why, why do you think that blues is such a big, uh, a special part of uh, the South and the people in the South? Well, you know, um, I, I can only go on what, um, you know, the older guys that I, I got to know. Well, you know, what they told me, you know, what B.B. King told me, what Muddy Waters told me, or Oka John Lee Hooker, my father, my uncles. You know, although my dad did send me back to uh, Mississippi uh, in 62, I, I, and I went back to Little Rock, uh, I think when I was about 10, 9 or 10 with my grandmother. So I got to see for myself, you know, and my dad wanted me to... Uh, get a uh, education, you know, as to where, where he was from and, you know, why I was where I was at. And I think that the blues, like Willie Dixon said, is the facts of life, you know, um, and and the facts of life for each of us uh, are different. We, we have to, what I learned from those guys was you got to play the hand you're dealt. Right. You can't play the hand you want to be dealt. You can't play the hand that you think is should have been fair. You can't. <laughs> you just got to play the hand yourself. That's it. And I think that that resilience is what you hear in the blues. You hear that resilience, and I think that that resilience is what um, affected people like the Rolling Stones, like the Beatles, like the Yardbirds. And, um, they, they, they. Um, uh, like he said, you know, no disrespect. He didn't want to be. He didn't. He didn't want to be. Uh, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra. He wanted to be Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. You know, no disrespect to Frank Sinatra. Right. And you know, to be quite honest, you know, um, all the English guys I know, and I know just about all the cats you <laughs> name. And I mean, um, they, 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 they all, all felt that, like you know, I sort of did. Till my dad sent me down south until Mike Bloomfield sent me to Chicago in 69 and I could see for myself how 
the 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 um the conditions were yeah. that um that spawned the blues and and I think that those conditions to a little bit were what some of the English guys were going through because they had to go through the Blitzkrieg and the bombing, so they had a little bit of that right. you know and and i I think that the music uh made itself just you know it it spoke to those guys the same way it spoke to Elvis Presley, right. you know, the same way it spoke to Dwayne Harmon and the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, right. you know, except those guys, Dwayne and Muscle Shoals and them got to be a part of that right. because Dwayne didn't only play with the Harmon brothers, he played with Wilson Pickett, okay, how many cats <laughs> you know played with Aretha Franklin? That's crazy. You know, and, and yeah, and Dwayne was the conduit, you know, and, and, and he, was the, he, he was that link to make Guys like my dad feel comfortable yeah. in a situation with guys like recalling them, right. you know, who, 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 you know, had one foot in and one foot out. So, you know, they have a great, a great uh, biography right now about Aretha Franklin with Jennifer Hudson. That, it. you know, you, you see her when she goes, yeah, and, and you know, she, when she first goes to, to most of shows, how she reacts. She doesn't react anything like her husband does. <laughs> yeah. Her husband would sort of react like Wilson Pickett did when he went down there. Right. Which is but not which is sort of you know, and Dwayne mitigated that and and you know, you can I can personally speak on that because I was making a record with a guy named Steve Cropper and I was supposed to make a record with the Booker T MDs back in Epping and Steve said, Joe, you know, will you just take a day trip with me? Can take a day trip to Muxler Show. And meet the guys, man, and 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 you know, at that time, you know, I, I just I, I was pretty good friends with uh with uh with Booker and and Duck, God rest his soul, yeah. and uh, Steve Pot, uh, uh, Al Jackson Jr.'s nephew, the drummer, and we had sort of you know we were going to do something. But when I took that day trip down there, and I met Roger Hawkins, uh, God rest his soul, the great drummer, yes. and and David Hood, David Hood, and, and Clayton Ivy, and all those guys. Uh, we, we we played, we started jamming, and we played, we recorded five songs in one day. Original songs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so it, it, when you get into the music, it, it, it gets in all of our blood. Yeah. You know, um, and, 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 and that's just the best way I can put it, you know? Well, that's, that's a good way of putting it. it, it it's got to come out, right? Whatever's inside of you, you got it comes out in the form of, the the blues or whatever that comes out that's a part of your soul, right? Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, and but you mm -hmm. were, you were growing up though, you know, as a young guy, a kid, basically, you're you're jamming with uh, Albert King and Freddie King and Muddy Waters and all that. How did you end up playing with those guys? Well, well, I was in the Bay Area. Me and my cousins had a band, and my. One of my older cousins turned professional. He went on the road. They had a hit record, million selling record with a guy named Roger Collins in Oakland. Named She's Looking Good. In fact, Howlin' Wolf covered the record. <laughs> and um, so we had been playing since we were, since I was twelve years old, playing all over California because we were part of a drum corps. We played all the Elks Lounges, all the all the young people drum corps all over, and then we played. Um, we were playing the film auditorium because that was our community playhouse before the hippies got there. Right. And we would we would do we would play the big California hall and we played four and five nights a week. 
being 13 or 14, <laughs> we joined the union. I joined the union when I was 14 years old. Wow. Full fledged union member. $125 on this 1964. <laughs> and so we, we would be able to get union gigs. And so we were doing pretty good. You know, I mean, I remember playing this um, governor's ball in Sacramento when I was uh, 13 or 14. And I got $100. Wow. Me, each one of me, me and my cousin got $100 a piece. I know cats that are making a hundred dollars <laughs> now. <laughs> that's, that's not shabby now, yeah. For a kid. That's, that's, man, you were rich back in those days. Man. Yeah, that's good stuff. So you know, we, we were doing pretty good, uh, but I was living with my dad, my mom, and what have you. And so when I, 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 I just would act like I was going to school when I was fourteen, fifteen, and I, you know, leave in the morning, leave my books downstairs, and take off, <laughs> go hang out, play music with my friends out and whatnot. So uh, by the time I got 15, my dad said, hey, you know, Joe, I think you got to go because you, you, you know, you got your, you got your own idea for how houses should be run and bring yeah. paid and you're not going to school. You're not doing anything we asked you to do, you know, and I said, well, hey, you know, you don't want to put this stuff in me. So, I mean, he was sort of proud of me, but he really wanted me to get my education and all that stuff and I quit school and everything. Right. And and was pretty much playing. I was playing at the club called the Matrix a lot, and all the blues guys would come there. And then if they were, you know, if they had a bigger name, they would they play there on the weekday. And then they play either the by that time, Bill Graham had a film on, and they play the film auditorium or for or Friday Saturday, and then they do the Sunday matinee. Most of the blues guys would do the Sunday matinee from two to five for a dollar and fifty cents. So I get I get to go see the Wolf, wow. or or Big King or whoever. Most of the blues guys get the Sunday matinees. They film auditorium. The film will hold about maybe I don't know maybe thousand nine hundred thousand people. Right. Uh, if everybody's standing up, there were there were no seats in the film auditorium. <laughs> you stood up, you know, and you you hung out. You know, it was one of those things. Right. And uh, so I I got to um, see a lot of those guys, and then. The other guys, like most of the acoustic guys, like like uh, Fred McDowell and Lightning and, and them, yeah. they would play at the Matrix seven nights in a week because a lot of the acoustic blues. Sometimes, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't um, uh, you know when you got you got on the bill um, the Yardbirds, uh, James Cotton Blues Band, and uh, someone like Larry Coryell with Gary Burton, mm -hmm. then you 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 wouldn't the, the the subtlety of an acoustic would be sort of hard unless they went on first. So you didn't see a lot of those guys, but they did have, you know, some of them did play the bigger, bigger places, you know, the bigger names of lightning. He, he, I think he played to Fillmore and some of the other acoustic guys, but I don't think Fred McDowell ever played Fillmore. Um, and, but you know, that was, and so during that, I got to, uh, uh, know, meet and know a lot of the older guys. Cause not only did I, play with some of them, but, you know, I would be their runner. You know, I would be the, the one, the first thing I'd have to sign for them is a hickory pit. You know, they get some barbecue and right. and, the, and the place where they could, you know, go feel comfortable at the side of town I lived on sometimes. So, they, you know, just to make them feel comfortable. And, you know, I'd take my sister with me and she, my sister was good looking and she had friends, she was older than me and she, she, she hung out with a lot of musicians in the Bay Area and things, so. You know a lot of places to you know take hang out, take people, you know, so that they can just you know feel at home. Right. And so that permeated into one thing, and then when I 
So I moved in with Bloomfield. I was about 18, maybe 18 and a half. And so Michael had an open house. So basically, you could go to sleep and wake up and Carrie Bell would be in the bed next to you. Or somebody in James Cotton's band. Or right. somebody in Muddy's band. Wow. Or somebody from Wolf's band, because everybody knew Michael. Right. You know, from Chicago, and they all respected him. They loved him. So um, I got uh, a, a sort of a, a education like that also. So I, I was um, fortunate to meet all those guys. And then when I had relationships or understandings uh, or a good uh, a rapport with people like Muddy Waters, Muddy you know, would make me an office of, you know, if you can make it to Toronto, um, I'm playing the Colonial Inn, the Colonial Inn of Big Blues Club. And upstairs is the main act, and downstairs is the, the opening act. So I'd make it to Toronto, and for two weeks I'd be opening for Muddy, and for two weeks I'd be able to go have dinner with him and watch him play cards and just talk, listen to him talk. And I got to be really good friends with the guys in the band, with Willie Smith and, and uh, Fuzz, the bass player, uh, Calvin Jones, and the uh, Pine Top Rest, all these souls, mm-hmm. and some of the other guys, you know, uh, uh, Pee Wee Madison and, and guys like that. So I, that, that's how I got to know a lot of those older guys. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of stories uh, and a lot of good times. And uh, But like you said, so, so that they're telling you about different things, they're helping you out, and is that – Something that sticks in your mind, some of these guys, what they said to you, is it always embedded in your mind that you always remember maybe some advice that they gave you? Is that always Oh, there? yeah. Well, I mean, I learned something from all of them. You know, um, you know I learned something from all of them. Uh, the, 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 the main two, I'd say, um, that sticks in my head was uh, when Muddy told me years ago, you know, um, I, I, w- I went down to the Avalon Ballroom. That's where the family dog we used to pl- have acts. They were the, the uh, rival to Bill Graham's film auditorium. Right. And anyway, I went down there and because uh, uh, John Mayhall had came in town, this is back in 1968, 69. He came in town and he came over to Bloomfield's house uh, the guitar player, a uh, young kid from England, Mick, Mick Taylor. Yeah. And so we had a good time. He was, he was a little bit older than me and, you know, we were sort of the same age and but uh, him and Michael um, sort of got uh, got the feeling pretty good. Everybody got to say, so he had to go in and, and do the show. And so, you know, I would always, if Michael would jump on stage, I'd jump on stage. But Michael wasn't, so I just, so I said, Nick, I asked him, can I jump on stage? He said, well, you know, we got to ask John. And, uh, and then he said, I don't care. So anyway, to make love that, me and my cousin, we jumped on stage in the middle of John's set. <laughs> and John was real benevolent about it. But, uh, Guys were jumping on the stage and sitting in and wasn't supposed to be masking. And, and so when I got off the stage, I'll never forget, uh, the Avalon Ballroom's dressing room was about as big as the pool closet. And Muddy had his band in one corner. Big Mama Thornton had her band in one corner. John Mayall had his band in one corner. And they all were screaming at the top of their lungs at the band members for screwing up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I talked to Muddy Waters later. And and um, he was still sort of hot, and and I just you know, and and, and, and he looked at me, and he just said, come here, <laughs> and he would never say come here. This he'd say come here, MF, you know every other word, <laughs> musicians, you know come here, man. And I went over there, and he said, let me tell you something, son. Nobody likes the nobody likes the band leader, and and, and I'll never forget that. You know, I'll never forget that. 
and BB told me some things too, you know, some things. But BB, BB was very confidential and very, very closeted with his feelings. Very, very closeted. Unless you got to know him really good, you were going to get. Uh, I always called BB the Teflon Don because there would be nothing you could read that would stick to BB King <laughs> that would make him seem like he would um, be uh, um, anything other than approachable. Like Louis Armstrong, very little are you going to get from him yeah. to, um, and I'll never forget, B.B. told me years ago, I was giving an interview and I was, you know, uh, speaking about a situation, uh, I forgot what it was, and, and B.B. just told me, he said, come here! And I said, what? What do I do now? And he says, look, you can, t- you can think anything you want, just don't tell them. and that comes from yeah and that comes from somebody that knows you know that whatever you say like like my mother used to say Joe don't say nothing to nobody that you can't say in a court of law (laughs) (laughs) that's some good legal (laughs) good legal advice yeah (laughs) it was some good life advice because most of the most of the guys like BB and my dad and 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 muddy them you know, they, they grew up in a, in a situation where they have to literally look down, look down, don't look straight, right. and you bet not say what's on your mind. Right. You just better say what you're supposed to be saying. Right. Well, you know, that's stuff with them. And they never complain. You, you'll never hear an interview with Muddy Waters complaining about his treatment. You'll never hear an interview from B.B. King. You will never hear, my dad never complained about what he went through in the South, ever. Wow. He just told me one thing. He says, you know what? I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just thank God that I have an opportunity to get somewhere where I can do something for my family, because I wouldn't not, I would have been swinging on a tree, you know, because my mm-hmm. father was six foot four, he he couldn't make himself small, right. you know, he couldn't do it, and you know that's just being honest, just it's the truth about the situation, right. you know, I know everybody's got a story, but the blues comes out of that story, it doesn't come out of a, a trust fund. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the truth. Just it. It's you the know, truth. It's that's the story that it comes out of. It comes out of a strange mm-hmm. fruit story, and it comes out of uh, you know people getting together like Dwayne Allen, God bless him, and and Muscle Shows and guys Steve Cropper and Booker T and MGs. You know those guys. Um, you know a lot of people don't know that Steve and Duck and Booker and Al Jackson Jr. integrated more places just by being the musicians that they were, because they refused, Booker said, if, 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 if Robert said, if Booker and Duff, Booker and Al Jackson Jr. can't stay at a hotel, we're not staying. Right. Booker said, if, if Duff and, and, and Crop can't stay at a hotel, we ain't staying. That was just the way they dealt with it. They didn't go out and make a big press release. Right. They didn't make a da-da, but they got around, right. you know. And, and so, you know, when just to be quite honest with me, that really, for me, uh, made my respect of Duck and Steve go through the roof because they did not put that out there. You've never heard this story. Yeah. I bet you might. You ain't. You know, and, and you'd have to pull teeth to get Cropper to talk about things like that. And because he doesn't want any credit for some things that he feels like, you know, should have been right anyway. That's you right. know, that, that's the only thing. And so with Muscle Shoals, those guys showed it in the way they played it, and in the way they made everybody comfortable. So you you could say that the music really was a conduit to, you know, 
the way people treated each other, you know, uh, with respect, you know, and, and I think you, you can hear that in all the muscle shows music. You can hear it in all the stacks music. You can, you know, you really can. You can hear that brotherhood, that camaraderie. You can hear the the, the different cultures. You can hear the soul, the gospel, the soul singers being mixed with the sort yes. of a country funk, bluesy stuff of, of the muscle shows, the rhythms, the rhythms. You know, and yes. that, believe me, ninety point nine percent of musicians that know that story that, that makes them proud to be a musician. That's awesome. You know that that that's what you know that that's what music can do. That's it. It it brings people together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, Amen. And places that you think that there's no way this is going to change, or there's no way this is going to be okay. But you see, when you're playing with somebody, and it don't matter what color he is, and you're jamming, that's that's what it's all about. Who cares anymore, right? It's all about the connection, Man. right, and the music. And it don't get no better, honestly, than the South. I got to say, when you're talking about the root, the roots of music, right? It's it's all started right down here. And uh, yeah, you, you can't deny that. You know, you can't deny that. Um, yeah, it's all Mississippi, in Alabama. You know, really the Mississippi, Alabama. A lot of Little Rock because we people forget that's right. that Trayvon Williamson number two played with Levon in the Hawk. Okay, <laughs> before they was the Hawk. You know, they were all. You know, I, I knew Levon pretty well before he passed, and uh, he was extremely one of the highlights of his life was playing with, with, with uh, Sonny Boy Williamson and how they all got along. And, you know, Levon tells the story, how they left a little gig after one night and they went to a place to eat and they wouldn't, wouldn't feed Sonny Boy. And Levon made the whole band, the band, get up and leave. Yo, <laughs> and I know Levon. I know Levon. That's the way he was. Yeah. You know, but then again, you know, when, when it came to with someone being a conservative, this guy, you know, he's mostly a conservative guy. But then I know a lot of people that were conservative right. people right. that like, you know, that were for fairness, you know. My biggest fan outside of my mother was a guy named Lee Atwater, chairman of the Republican Party. Okay. I played for George H. W. Bush. I played for Clinton. I played for McCain. I played for Fred Thompson. I played for <laughs> I can't even tell you the amount of politicians that I, you know, that yeah. I played for and, and they knew my music. Exactly. You know, and 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 you know what? When I went to the the old office with BB King, two or three times we got to see uh, H. W. Bush was president. You know, H. Uh, w. would always do his homework on us, and he said, "Joe, this is a great song you got here. This and that and the other." And I said, "You listen? You really listen to my music?" He said, "Yes, yeah, because Lee's playing it all the time in the office." <laughs> 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 So, you know, you get that sort of dichotomy that it's hard to pigeonhole people. It's hard to, you know, the minute you, an uh, individual says, oh, X, Y, Z is like uh, X, Y, Z, is the minute that you're proven wrong, you know? Right. So it's, the music really is a, a healer and a, and a thing that brings people together in some of the most diverse situations you can possibly imagine. Uh, I 100% agree. Ain't it so great? To have music and yeah. and I know you love it, you know, and I I know you love playing the blues, and you've got a, a brand new album coming out, right? Yes, sir. And it's yes, sir. Called uh, e- Eclectic Electric. 
that's that's a good that's a catchy name uh you know yeah. <laughs> for what you're doing so, so let's talk about that a little bit yeah yeah well i um i i uh had a, some requests from some of my friends and family and some of the producers i worked with and and record company and whatnot and, and i said well what do you guys want what do you guys hear me doing so this was my 30th uh, uh, album since 1985. Wow. And so I've done a little bit of everything, and, and a, lot of, a lot of them came back and said, well, you know, Joe, that, that version that you did for that compilation with Junior Wells and all those guys uh, on, the, on the Rolling Stones thing, uh, your version of Hardy Stone was great. Another person said, you know, that I looked at your, your music, and the one that you get the most hits on is on your version of the compilation, the Beatles' White Album, where you did While My Guitar Jamie Weeks. I got all these type of things and, and say, hey man, you used to play acoustic, that Muddy Waters song too, Kane. So when I got all these requests, I'm up to listen, I don't know, I'm a hundred songs. And um, so we picked, you know, me and some of the guys in the band, we picked some songs and said, let's just start to do these songs our way. So uh, we, the first one we picked was uh, World Wars of London, because uh, my, my buddy helped write that song, and so he uh, agreed to play slide guitar on it. So my buddy Waddy Wattel uh, plays on the song with us, but we made it our own style. We made it extremely funky. And we also did the sort of the same with um, my other friend, Danny Cotchmore, uh song, All She Wants to Do Is Dance All Night. But um, the one that was a real challenge was uh, the, the, we said, well, pick an iconic song. So I picked Hotel California. And I sort of made it like a reggae blues um, uh, guitar uh, driven tune and you know um, I've played it for people and people seem to enjoy it you know I'm not going to do it any better than the Eagles I'm just going to do it different my way right. and you know it was a lot of fun doing it and um, I, I, I'm sure I'll hear back from uh, somebody as to uh, oh man that, you know, that's a pretty good version you know well, so we had, yeah. we had, that, that's why yeah, that's why well I listened to them and I was really impressed you know, a, a lot of people, there ain't too many people that can cover the Eagles and, and make it their own. And people go, hey, I really like that. But I, I honestly, I really like your version of that. Uh, it's really, really cool. And the, and like you said, the the uh, Werewolves of London, I'm, you know, it's really, when you take a different approach, you can't copy a song exactly. But when you put your own touch to it and you've got that, like you said, the blues and the reggae type thing going on. Yeah. It's just got a cool it's a different sound. It makes it like a new song. It's really good. I mean, I got Yeah. You know, what's funny is the one thing that everybody hears the version of uh, Hotel California says, <laughs> oh, everybody is now I can hear the words and I know what it's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, because, you know, B.B. King just, he, he, him and Willie Dick beated me to death. Diction. Diction. Yeah. Diction. Diction. You want, you want people to hear every word you're saying, no slang, no, you know, diction is extremely important. And so I try to, with a song like that, with a lot of lyrics, and so I try to get my diction straight with my intonation. And what I learned from Cropper is that, you know, you don't end a song the way you started, you know, you should have some ebbs and flows. And, you know, at the end, it should, you know, you should be driving it home a little bit. So I, I, I try to just add a little something in in, in 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 those aspects 
hear the tune, you know, because it's it's a great tune. But you know, I listen I listen to the, I listen to their version once before I did this, and then I wouldn't listen to it anymore. Right. Uh, and uh, then we sat in the room and we came up with a with a, uh, an arrangement that we thought worked, and um, it, it, and we did the vocals and all the backgrounds, and I brought Morali Coriel in to play the the main lead guitar, and I played the foil to his lead guitar. Morales is just a great guitar player. He runs in his family. His father was one of the greatest guitar players in the world. Larry Cordell, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. So it, it turned out, you know, it was, and it was fun doing it. You know, it was fun in the studio. Doing it. When it's fun, sometimes that permeates to the, you know, to the record. Yeah, it it sounds like you're having fun. I mean, I I think everybody's going to enjoy that. Uh, and. Uh, so how would you describe your uh, playing styles? If somebody said, what's your style? What, what would you say? Uh, no disrespect, but I don't I don't try to describe myself. Okay. Um, I, I leave it to someone else. Uh, um, really, I, I honestly do. Uh, I, I just, you know, for me, I, I must say that, you know, one thing about me as a musician, I'm a restless soul. So I, I'm, I'm not want to sit and do one thing over and over again, you know, and, and, and so if there's anything, but then I, that's the generation that I come out of. Yeah. The musicians that were really well-known, younger guys that were well-known when I was coming up, that I looked up to that got to be famous or well-known, like Jimi Hendrix and Mike Bloomfield, Buddy Miles, Buddy Guy, guys like that. They really always, they, they, they always kept moving, trying to push themselves musically. You know, and, and even when I was around them, you know, um, it, it wasn't, you know, they, they could have played the same thing over and over again. But, um, you know, just from the, the big, big stars, like, I mean, you listen to a Smokey Robinson record from 62, you know, uh, Shop Around or, or Who's Loving You, yeah. and you listen to a Smokey Robinson record from 82, it's a hundred miles yes. different. Yes. The chances that you know, tears of a clown, tears of a clown, sound nothing. <laughs> Sounds nothing like going to a go-go. This is, <laughs> you know this is I mean? true. This is true. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you, and then you, you, you say on the other hand, the other other groundbreakers, the Beatles doing um, "She Loves You," yeah, yeah, don't sound anything like "I Am the Walrus." <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what a di- what a difference! Like you know, five or six years, mate. Yeah, I bet yeah, it's and, cool. And, and LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that does tend to you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it messes with you. Uh, well, oh, that that's true though. I mean, and but who wants to hear the same album done the same? You know, who wants to hear that? So I guess some people do, but I mean, you got to change it up. You got to mix it up and make it different yeah. and you know stuff yeah. like that well uh you um you got to play with bb you were talking about bb i know you you did it uh you, you worked on his album you used to play together and things like that and uh yeah i know you yeah, miss, yeah. miss did, playing uh, with we it did, we did we did we did a video too and we did uh one album that won the grammy blue summit and we did the, the live video the blue summit video with all of us there albert Collins, and a lot of the people are dead now gone rest of mm-hmm. albert and Coco Taylor and yeah. uh, uh, several other people have, have passed. Katie Webster's gone and uh, quite a few more. That but uh, yeah, I, I, I um, did a lot of playing with, with BB and, um, you know, I, I would go to his house 
in Vegas and spend time with him and uh, I take him, took him a couple of guitars. He gave me a Lucille, um, which uh, it was kind of him. And uh, he, he would take time out with me and, and uh, I'll forever, you know, be thankful that he always made time for me and, uh, you know, he's special. That's awesome. Oh, that's, I, I know you have a, a, a lot of stories. Maybe you need to write a book one day and just have all that uh, in there. But, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I was looking, is, is it true that you uh, opened for uh, Jimi Hendrix one time? Well, no, I, I, I wasn't on the show with Jimmy. I mean, I went to parties with him because I, I was good friends with uh, Michael Plumfield and Buddy Miles, and, and Buddy Miles was the biggest Jimmy Hendrix fan in the world. They they were very tight, and Buddy threw some parties for him. And Buddy, uh, he, we it was, it was like a lot of musicians around the area, and um, so Buddy let me use his rehearsal studio, and, and then he came and, you know, told you let Jimmy use it. I felt great, and I let Jimmy use it. So I got to know him a little bit. And later in life, I later in life I got to know uh, Billy Cox pretty good, mm-hmm. and um, I know I know Juma Sultan, the keeper, the, the, the um, uh, kunga player to play with him uh, at Woodstock. I know Juma. He's he's on he's on he's playing kungas on Hotel California. Oh, wow. Juma's playing percussion on that. Right. So um, you know, I, I just uh, I was fortunate to play with a lot of those guys. You know, uh, Bobby Weir, Garcia, because I was from the Bay Area. Yes. You know, and I, play, I played a lot of two to six joints, you know, uh, two to six in the morning. And all the get, that's when you can play five nights a week, seven nights a week. And so when guys would, you know, be letting down, you know, if I'm playing at the uh, the Ark, the big Ark, a place called the Ark in, um, in, in, in Sausalito, which is pretty popular, two to six in the morning, you know. I, I, any other two, three nights, I would look down there. Garcia would be there, or, or um, my good friend Jerry um, Miller from the Moby Grape, or John Cipollina from uh, uh, from Whitfield uh, Messenger Service, or Luther Tucker would be, you know, guys. So you know, we, we'd all sort of support each other going out. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the dead didn't necessarily have to be playing big places all the time. Yeah. You know, they, in fact, Jerry didn't like that. You know, me and Bobby talk about that now. You know, it's that thing. When the first time I seen Bobby, when the first time you seen him, he was playing bass for uh, uh, he was playing bass for uh, Lightning Hopkins. Bobby was playing bass at, at the at the I think the Long Sherman Hall somewhere, and uh, I think he was about eighteen because I was seventeen. I'm about a year and a half younger than him. And then the next time he was playing bass for 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 uh, uh, Little Walter. Like the only only time I ever seen Little Walter. The dead were backing them up. You know, I mean, people forget that. That's that thing me and you were just talking about. Yeah. How you know that that sort of connection. Right. You know that that real connection. That's it. And and so what, what happened was in the Bay Area. You know, I mean, you get things like, you know, the dead back in uh Bobby uh, back in uh uh, uh, uh Diddley, Little Walter. You get uh uh, uh Steve Miller Band, which is the blues band, Steve Miller Blues Band. band making a whole record with Chuck Berry and back at T-Bone Walker. Yeah. You, you know, you get that sort of juxtaposition. And so for a young guy like me, you know, I'm, I got a foot in both worlds. I'm a young guy coming up. You know, I like the Yardbirds. I like the energy, you know, of their version of Smokestack Lightning. Yeah. But I also, I heard the, the real one from my dad, right. you know. And so I know both versions. 
and I, I see where it's going. You know, I, I see that, you know, young people are getting turned on through Holland Wolf, through the Yardbirds and the Stones, right. and a lot of other like, older people. Like, I turned my dad on to the Yardbirds. He wasn't crazy about that. But he did like the Rolling Stones because they brought the Holland Wolf on TV with him one time. That's awesome. And he... he yeah, and he's seen him when they brought the Howling Wolf on a uh, shindig one night. And and my dad, he, he couldn't say enough about him. He said, oh, boy, them boom boys there, they know the blues. Huh? He said, they know the blues because if they're going to have they gonna have Big Chester up here, he said, man, next going to be on TV is going to be Muddy Water. But Muddy didn't, you know, he, he didn't get a chance to get on TV. Chuck Berry did, yeah. you know, with his rock and roll. And, and, and Bo Diddley did. Bo Diddley did up Ed Sullivan in the, in the mid-50s. But a lot of those guys didn't get a chance to get on, on on national TV, right? And when you but you thinking about those legends and things like that, you know, and 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 like you said, most of those guys are, are not here with us anymore. But as you you know get older, and there's another generation, is there anything that you want to say to the next generation of blues artists out there that you could give advice to? Well, you know. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I can only go from my own personal experience, and, and I know that the the reason that I got it in this because I loved it, the music, um, and all the people that I've mentioned to you, uh, the ones that I were around, the reason that they got into it because they loved it, you know. And um, all I can say is, you know, if 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 you love this music, you know, play it like you love it. And understand that uh, it it it's not blues is a little bit different. It's really not the notes in the music. It's really you know no disrespect. It's really not about a five hundred note a minute guitar solo. Right. It, it's not about a a one million dollar tour bus. It's not about a private plane or playing in a ten thousand dollar Armani suit. It, it that that doesn't just because somebody gets famous and they, they get to do all that does not necessarily uh, make them uh, be a blues artist that in the tradition of someone like Sunhouse who, who, who when you see him you, you can see the the just the the, the you, can, you can you can hear in his voice what he's speaking is true yeah. um, and the same with Muddy Water you know and the same with the Howling Wolf and you know, and so it, when you when you get farther and further from that generation, a lot of people are singing about the blues that they've heard second or third hand. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the the thing that gets missed sometimes is that the blues comes out of a I call it it's a study in survival. It's a social study. It, it, it's a textbook and how to say something that someone might not agree with, but to say it in a way to where the bottom line is that it's cathartic. It's got to be cathartic. It it's cathartic. And so uh, I feel that, you know, when, when it's carried in that tradition, every song doesn't have to be uh, 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 everybody wants to know why I sing the blues because everybody can't sing. You know, when I came over on the ship of America, there was men that would stand over me with a whip. Everybody can't sing that. That's right. You know, but when B.B. King did sing it, he didn't sing it accusatory. Right. He sang it as like a history right. lesson. Right. 
and it does not have to be critical history. It's just history. It's history. It's just what happened. That's it. Yeah, we all got a story. I'm just as interested when I go to Ireland and I see my friends in Ireland, I'm just as interested in their story exactly. as I am in someone's story in uh, uh, Oxford, Mississippi. Right. You know, I really am. Right. Because, you know, um, like Bob Marley said, sufferers sort of pull together. And you were saying why that why that music spoke to young crowds like the, the, the Stones and Yardbirds. And, because when they was coming up, you know, they really, like, Keith Richard was born in the Vince Creed. Yes. He was going to start because he couldn't get no chocolate for six or seven years. Right. So what did he do when he became famous? He bought a truckload of chocolate. <laughs> straight up. Yeah, straight up. And a, and a truckload of blues records <laughs> that he couldn't buy. Exactly. And he went everywhere and said every blues guy that he could, and he connected with everyone that he could. And so when you hear him play what he plays, he's just an extension of that. He's an extension of Prairie Lewis. He's an extension of Muddy. Yeah. He's an extension of, of Wolf. You know, he's because he knew them all. Right. He's all nothing. <laughs> you know, not because he was Keith Richards the Rolling Stone, because like Muddy said, Keith was my boy. If it wasn't for him, he said the Americans would know who the hell I am. And he's absolutely right. right. You know, if it wasn't for people like the Stones and, and the Yardbirds and, 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 and people like Jeff Beck doing any superstitions, 90% of the musicians I know would know who the hell those guys were. That's you know, right. and, and God bless the English guys for coming over here and bringing, basically bringing what was over here already and saying, hey, you know, the, the music is good, the people are good, you know, give them a shot, you know, and uh, I, mostly all the blues guys I know are all, you know, indebted to a lot of the English guys. For, for that, because they never, ever were in competition right. with the blues guys. They were just acolytes of it. You know, they never claimed to be the king of rock and roll, right. and nobody said they were. Right. You know, so uh, it, it's good when, 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 when the blues reaches all of us like that, and the guy keeps the same love for it as he was when he was 13, as he is now when he's 73 or 77. And the same, you know, feeling for it. And I think if there's a thread running through the blues, that's the one. You know, once a blues fan, basically always a blues fan. Right. And the people you, you, you connect with, whether they're the same tribe you're from or the same uh, social strata or whatever, they love the same stuff you love. That's it. You know, and, and that's sort of unique that, you know, uh, in blues and in country western, if, if, you, like, if you like George Jones, uh, uh, Hank Senior, um, uh, 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 people of that stature. To me, they are the same stature as people like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, right. as far as artists and then reaching people. And so you you have that. You, you, we've got we've got the Mount Rushmores of all music in our country, and it's something as an American I always say to musicians. You know, rock and roll couldn't have been invented in anywhere. Couldn't have been invented in France. No, they can't even hit the drums hard enough. No, you know they can't. They ain't got their LDL. It couldn't have been invented in England no. because England, uh, most English uh, successful bands I've seen have a great show. It's theater a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. It's like the Gans 
70, you guys running up and down the stadium. Or a guitar player windmilling his guitar. <laughs> or a crazy world of Arthur Brown blowing fire. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was all about the show. The show first and the music second. With the Americans, it's the music first. It sure is. And then, you know, then the, then the show came, the big shows came with guys like James Brown and what have you. But, you know, everybody had a show. I mean, Bob Wills had a great show. Yeah. Bob Wills used to dance around on stage. I love Bob Wills. <laughs> You know, and the mixture of his music was basically jazz mixed with country. Yeah. You know, so you know, America is is the fountain of of a lot of of, of what 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 proper music is all about, and and the roots of that is blues sure. for the most part, and and then you know we we have all of our other indigenous music here that's you know to be proud of, but but we've created have made billionaires of people all over the world. And fulfill their dreams. Yeah, and and it all started in the South, and 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 I'm going to let you go. I know you're a busy man, but I was just I was just thinking about that though. I think recently, I think Rolling Stone magazine had like the top, I don't know, 500 guitarists or something like that, and like most of them were people. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> and isn't it sad well, though that there's a lot of guys like you. But a lot of guys that you grew up with, or a lot of guys that maybe didn't have their name in lights, that were maybe you were a young kid and you heard that guy and you said, "Wow, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life," and he never made it in Rolling Stone. That's that's what's sad well, to me. Well, you 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 you, you know, uh, people go by their points of reference, and so you know, just to give you a for example. And there's no right and wrong in this, what I'm saying. It's just an example. When you can take this template and you, you can't take someone's motivation the same, but what happens, the outcome's the same. Arthur Big Boy cut up, cuts That's All Right Mama. Spells really well. Um, Big Mama, Town Dog, sells a million copies. Those records were hits in my house. Um, you get another a young white guy come behind them, sings the hell out of it. They sell millions and millions of copies. Well, Elvis was able to do that, okay. Uh, Chuck Berry, on 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 the other hand, was doing the same thing with with the. He wanted to be a country star. Elvis didn't want to be a country star. They had an inventor stop him to play, so he he related to rhythm and blues, whether it's be Money Honey by the Drifters or whether it was. Uh, uh, Mystery Train by Little Junior Park and the Blue Flame, whatever it was, that's where Elvis's heart was. So when he sang those songs and they became million sellers, it was great. Now on the other side of that coin, you had someone like Pat Boone, who basically, you know, when Little Richard would let out Tutti Fruity, they let it, they let Pat Boone's out three days later, mm-hmm. and it would sell a trillion copies because it was bad Little Richard. Or Pat, or, or, or not to be confused with someone who's feels in the wrong place, but who did a lot of good was Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson did um, uh, um, uh, 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 I'm Walking to New Orleans uh, in some of that time. He sold a trillion copies. So you fast forward that to the Muhammad Brothers doing One Way Out by Sonny Boy Williamson. Sells a trillion copies. Sonny Boy never reached that audience. You do, you fast forward to the Stones doing anything by Muddy. That's right. But you see, 
that the people that are buying the records, they're point of reference. Yes. A young kid is going to be able to relate. He's going to be able to relate to Dwayne. He, he, it's going to be hard for him to relate to someone like Muddy Watt, mm -hmm. to, to someone like the Highland Wolf. Uh, so you have. So if you fast forward it to now, to what you said, 500 of the, uh, the greatest guitar players that Rolling Stone would put in, I, I guarantee you the person that wrote that article their points of reference for a great guitar player. The person's probably about 45 yeah. years old, 35. His points of reference are everybody that is plastered on Rolling Stone for the nine million times. Exactly. It's going to be my friend. going to be my friend Slash. It's going to be Joe Perry. It's going to, yeah. I can tell you it's going to be, it's going to be uh, Eric Clapton. It's going to be Jeff Beck. It's going to be uh, uh, people like that. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, the person who's doing that judgment, they've never heard of Eddie Taylor other than hearing his licks a million times. Right. You know, with Eddie Taylor, there's no rock and roll because he put the lumpity lump up under Jimmy Reed. They've not heard of people like Earl Hooker, who right. played on the original Masking with the Kids. They've not heard of anybody like Wayne Bennett, who played on um, uh, the original put on Stormy Money with Bobby Blue Band. They ain't heard of T-Bone Walker. Right. You know? So... It's their point of reference. So, you know, it's like me saying the greatest painter is someone who started painting 40 years ago. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I understand it, and I never, ever, ever take any of those type of things seriously because I know that not only have those people never heard of me, they've never heard of the groundbreakers of the people that they say you know, created their start. They never heard Matt Murphy. Right. Oh, they've seen him in the movie Blues Brothers. Right. They don't know that Matt Murphy, when he played in England in the 60s, early 60s, that 335 was the sound that those guys, the first sound that those guys, English guys, heard live, basically. Right. So that's, what, that's the sound that they were striving for. Freddie King's sound was the sound that Eric Clapton got in the John Mayall Bluesbreaker record. Right. That's a great sound. Clapton knew just what to do with it. He played less than more. He played like an old blues guy. Yeah. He doesn't play like a shredder. Right. So, you know, if the, at the, and he got to play with Aretha Franklin. Right. So, you know, music it, it, music doesn't really, you know, it, 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 I'll just leave it at this. When Chuck Berry walks in a room with Muddy Waters, with Les Paul, with Chet Atkins, with Django Reinhardt, with T-Bone Walker, with John Lennon, with Keith Richards, Muddy Waters doesn't walk in the room and say, hey, I'm Muddy Waters, the blues guitar player. Right. Um, Pete Townsend doesn't walk in the room and say, hey, I'm Pete Townsend, the rock kid. Everybody just walks in and say, hey, man, I'm so-and-so the guitar player. And then they say, what can we all play together? That's What's right. one song we can all play together? I guarantee you, it's not going to be Box to number 32. Right. It's not going to be Satisfaction. It's not going to be any of those guys' hits. It's going to be... It's going to be a rock and roll song. Yeah. And you don't even have, you don't even have to name the song. <laughs> it's like Chuck said. <laughs> What's another name for rock and roll if we don't have a name for it? Chuck Lennon just call it Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, <laughs> Bruce Wayne said, Chuck, Chuck, what are we going to play, Chuck? Bruce, should we go play Chuck Berry? He got it right away. <laughs> there is nobody else 
in the history of music that can say that. That's Nobody. Nobody. Fucking Johann Bach can't even sing. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's just incredible, you know, that, that imprint. So I, I bet you on that list of 500 guitar players, they put Chuck Berry like 299. I, I can't remember. It was something <laughs> stupid, man. I was looking and, and, and talking about the Bay Area. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Neil Sean. Did you ever play with Neil? He's but he's from uh, oh, San Francisco. Yeah, I've known Neil. And uh, but I'm, I was but I was looking through there and I'm like he's not even in. I'm like come on man. But but you know who was? I think Paul Simon was like number eighteen. And no, like you said, no disrespect to Paul Simon. But when I'm thinking of the greatest guitar players of all time, you know, Paul yeah. Simon well, doesn't pop know, in my uh, head. Yeah, yeah. I bet you Django Reinhardt was probably number four hundred and eighty. It's and the guy that did it, if you look at the name Django, he says, oh, man, that was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was a, I love that movie. Jay, yeah, Django, but that ain't Django Reinhardt. He's <laughs> probably like, so, you know, yeah. You, I, yeah I, I look at those those polls, and, and it, you know, I, I just, even when I win some of the things, I, I, for one, to me, there's no World Series of Music number one yeah. and you know there's no best to anything music like anything on any given Sunday anybody can be great on any given Sunday anybody can be horrible simple as that that's it that's it yeah well I appreciate yes, you sir. I appreciate you talking man I got a lot of good uh, good uh, information and chat here and uh, I know I've kept you a while but I love talking I play guitar so I love to talk about guitar and playing and the history there's a lot of history lessons here and i think everybody's going to really enjoy oh, yeah. it um well i hope so and I, I appreciate you having me here yeah man and i and i'm looking forward like i said i've been listening to your album and uh a lot of cool songs uptown girl blues and bad betty and things like that it's really awesome i've been jamming <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah. and i and I, i'm looking forward to uh seeing what you do out there you've been playing a lot here lately i guess right out there on the yeah 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 it's picking up it's picking up a little bit i just did it like a week and a half with thoroughgood we, we traveled all over and so now i'm starting for some record release things and doing a little video thing and things are picking up a bit well that's good and i and i hope the best for you for this album i hope everybody goes out and buys it and just supports you and keeps the music going and uh Thank you so much. Yeah, well, well, I hope to get out there and get get back to my my, my friend down there at the Oyster Bar. I play down there, in, you know, Alabama at the yeah, Oyster Bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I play down there, and I go down there and visit uh my friend uh, uh Eddie Floyd lived down there too, and so I, I you know I got some friends down there and family down there, so I I, I look forward to getting back down there. It's been it's been a few years since about about three about three and a half years since I've been to Alabama. Oh, cool. What? Maybe a little long. Maybe I'll run into you one day. I hope so. Uh, yeah, sure. man. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. All right. And I'll, I'll be seeing you out there somewhere. And I, like I said, all the best to you. And I'm looking forward to everything you do. Thanks, man. I really enjoy Really enjoy talking to you. All right, Bye-bye. man. Take care. See you. Hello, it's Gary here. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you liked this episode, please share it with all your friends and let everybody know about it. And if you like it a lot, maybe you can help out. You can support this channel 
by clicking on the support button and you can donate whatever amount that you feel like once a month and I would greatly appreciate it. It helps me out so much and you can also check out my YouTube channel that goes along with this podcast. It's called Real Music with Gary Stuckey also. So check it out and uh, until next time everybody, whatever you do, keep the music real.